0: This podcast is a Tucker Media production. For more information, head to tuckermedia.com.au. Hi, I'm Ralph Tucker from Tucker Media. The year 2020 has certainly presented challenges for everyone across the world. In 2020 Revision, I'll chat to a cross-section of the community about their experiences and learnings in this truly unique period of history. From business owners, to professional athletes, to new mums, everyone will share their stories. And to give it an authentic 2020 feel, I've recorded these chats at my kitchen table over Zoom. Corbyn Midwest, welcome to 2020 Revision.
1: Thanks Ralphie, thanks for having me.
0: Now you're a radio sports broadcaster for the ABC based in Melbourne. I want you to first of all take us through your 2020 and what has been... An extraordinary year for everybody.
1: It's been crazy times, hasn't it? I think these, these Zoom calls were sort of pretty used to, sort of jumping on here and uh, having the chat and doing business um, like this. Yeah, it's, it's been a bizarre year. I actually started the year in the US, so I spent um, January and February over there, and we first sort of caught wind of the coronavirus, and um, one of the guys I was travelling with is um, He's a bit of a germaphobe at the best of times, and so we, we tried to talk him off the cliff, and just kept telling him, "Oh mate, it'll, it'll come and go; it won't be a big deal." And little do we know, it would impact um, 2020 as heavily as it has. So, got back to Melbourne. Um, did a, I think I did a couple of AFLW games and a few sort of host studio shifts, and then we had the the Women's World Cup here um, in March. Full house. Um, not long after that, all of a sudden, um, that the whole country's in lockdown. So, um, a huge shakeup. Round one of the AFL season, we went to empty stadiums um, and that was as far as we got. We got one weekend of footy out of the way before um, before a big break. Obviously, made, um, the footy was able to make its comeback a few weeks after the NRL and at that stage, um, we, we had only a, a brief period back in Melbourne with four or five games at the venues and from that point on, we were, we were covering games off-tune coming up with, um, I guess, new ways to, to do radio programs during a, during a pandemic and trying to come up with some some new ideas and new ways to cover sport off, off television remotely. Uh, we would have a hybrid of both. I, I think I did some NRL games um, with you, Ralphie, where I was at the stadium in Melbourne and the, the call team was back in Sydney. So, um, yeah, we had to be innovative um, right throughout.
0: We'll unpack all of that and, and, and go through it. I mean, first of all, I'd like to get your thoughts on how you guys handled it through that period of, of lockdown and, uh, as you mentioned, the creativity that's involved. So you guys sort of peeled off a couple of vintage games and, and recalled them and had people that played in the the games comment on the, the fixtures them, themselves. Yeah. Like, what was that like trying to come up with that stuff when you knew that you had hours to, to fill. And at the ABC, we're very fortunate that we've got a, a digital channel to support a lot of the stuff that the broadcasters were doing. So just talk to me about that particular aspect of it.
1: It was a volatile time as an industry. And I remember in while all this was happening, there are so many other media outlets and a lot of our colleagues losing their jobs where you know uh, media organisations were cutting staff that quickly and that was really happening even before the pandemic and the pandemic probably sped a lot of that along. So I think we were extremely fortunate in a sense to, to work for the ABC during this period that, um, first of all, we were assured by our bosses that, look, we would, we would have work going forward and it's time to basically go away and come up with some new ideas. So I think despite the fact a lot of us were interstate and separated from our family and friends and uh, there was so much uncertainty in the world, it's, it's not always the best space to try and be creative. Um, and then essentially we just pulled our heads together and thought, right, what can we do? What can we get out of this period um, and, and try to sort of create something that's entertaining content. I think we both know um, Ralphie and part of our drive and interest to get into the sports media is just, you know, it's a great release. It's, it's part of what people love every weekend. And when the sport's been taken away at a time of uncertainty, how do we keep sort of, I guess, the, the, that feel with people, even though there's no new sport being played each weekend. So one of the things that we did was the grand final recall. So we thought, look, there's these great games Um, in the history of uh, of Australian rules footy that people are aware of and the the members that are already part of our team, such as Brendan Goddard and Luke Ball and um, uh, Cameron Ling working for us, Mick Moldhouse, you know, all these guys that have been involved in in grand finals in the past, why don't we recall the game and then have them as the experts basically telling us their memories of the game as opposed to them telling us um, their analysis of what's taking place. So that was a really fun experience just for me as a footy fan. I remember growing up watching these guys play and then, um, to be able to get their experiences of, oh, this is what I was thinking at this time. This was actually happening behind the scenes. What you didn't realise is I busted my quad at that stage. And so I'd come off the ground and um, just being able to get some some great insights from these guys as to um, as to what took place during some of the, the most memorable, game, uh, memorable games in the, the history of footy.
0: And I guess from a, and I don't want to sort of over-exaggerate this, but from a, a mental health point of view, to be able to be busy and get through it. And we we're lucky that, like you said, management supported the various teams around the country to get on with stuff and, and create stuff when scenes around us were kind of very bleak in many ways. And, and a lot of people weren't afforded the opportunity to to go to work or, or leave their, their house for, for an extended period.
1: Oh, it helped me massively. And even once the rest of the country returned to normal and, and Melbourne had their second wave, um, the, the thought of going on annual leave at that time for someone like me, I'm a Perth boy that's spent a year in Brisbane, two years in Sydney, and now I'm in my second year in Melbourne. So its I, I wouldn't necessarily say that my closest support network is here in Melbourne. Um, even if they were, by the way, we weren't allowed to visit too many people, you weren't allowed to interact with anyone that wasn't in your household. So it wouldn't have mattered if they lived in the suburb next to me. But to be able to have work uh, and to have a purpose, I think during that period was was so important. So it, it gave us something to follow and something to do, something to work at. So it was a it was a great release. And I think otherwise than that, there's only so many times you can clean out your wardrobe and sort of rearrange your bookshelf and all these types of things. So yeah, we were we were very lucky that we were able to work during that period just to to give us something to do and something to focus on other than just what was going on in the world. I think. Probably everybody in Melbourne during that period and and right around Australia during the first lockdown, you'd come home every night and sit down and watch the nightly news and realise um, just what a situation we're in and and how much uncertainty there is going forward. So to be able to go and do something that you love and um, something that you're passionate about every day, yeah, certainly helped sort of um, ticking some days off the calendar. Uh, Absolutely.
0: I want to get your perspective from, a I guess, a, a sports lover's point of view when everything hit the fan, as it were, and the AFL were the first one to sort of go into shutdown, shortly followed by the NRL. And then there was this fear-based and a lot of panic and a lot of unknown and uncertainty about when competitions would resume. Peter Volandes, the, the chairman of the, the ARL, was, um, I guess, lambasted in, in many quarters for having the the, the gumption in, in the eyes of many to put a date on the table that we would return. And then the NRL looked like it was a bit of a leader, whereas the AFL, all of the people south of the border, were, like, scoffing at his his leadership at that stage. And then that that quickly turned when it looked like it was going to be a reality... And I know you were very staunch against and then came around, well, why not? What was the general vibe in the, amongst the AFL community?
1: So I think there was a, a general feel, and even cricket was guilty of this at the start too, that when we first started to learn about the pandemic, I think sport was pretty slow to realise that there had to be a cause for pause at some stage, that you couldn't just keep going all the way through, given there was so much uncertainty. Remember at the start, testing wasn't readily available um, we didn't know how widespread it was in the community. So there, it was important that we we took a break at some stage to actually realise, right, um, where, where is the virus at? Have we been able to locate it? How prevalent is it in the community? Can we test our participants? Or are we, as citizens, contributing to the spread of the virus? I mean, if, if sport goes on and it's a contact sport, for example, um, and you're passing it through to other competitors, it's not just the competitors. It's obviously the, the most vulnerable people as well that, um, you know, when they leave there and go home and give it to their friends or give it to someone else, that's exactly what we're trying to do by um, by social distancing and stopping. So I think that the pause was absolutely necessary. The way that they came out of it, I think the thing with Peter Vallandy's where he's, he's picked the date, when he said it at that stage, I don't think anyone felt that that was the time to resume, but he wasn't saying that either. He was saying, look, let's aim for this point down the road and if we get there... And it turns out that we're still—it's still not appropriate to restart. Well, then you can always move it back. You can move it back another week. You can move it back another week after that. Another week after that. But at least it gave people some certainty in a time when they didn't have any. It gave them something to work towards. And sure enough, by the time they got there, I think it was the end of May from memory. Um, the environment was a little better. Testing was more readily available, and it was a chance that they could get underway in a safe environment. Um, and then they could peel back the restrictions from that point on. So in the end, it was really good leadership. And the AFL probably missed out on a couple of weeks thereafter. And I don't think they wanted to be the first. I think the AFL was quite happy just to lay back in the cut and wait for somebody else to... Um, to step up and make the move, and and they could just sort of see which way the wind was blowing.
0: I guess they also had the advantage of uh, more money in the bank, whereas the NRL was mm. strapped for cash, really needed to cut a new deal from the broadcasters, and had to make that move. Whereas the AFL obviously had a bit of a, a safety net and managed to sort of peel back on that. I want to get your thoughts around yeah. the resumption of the, the AFL and and the the tinkering to the the competition, the way that it was played in the reduction. In in the the time frame for, for quarters and so forth. The NRL sort of had two main changes, which was the six again rule and also the removal of one referee on the field. What was your take on and how it panned out for the AFL throughout the season?
1: Uh, I've obviously covered plenty of rugby league as well. So I, I have that sort of unique experience in the comparison between the two sports, that the 16 minute quarters did not bother me one bit. I think as a television product nowadays and as an entertainment product, that, that three-hour window is is enough. If you've got a pre-game beforehand, a post-game afterwards, and you've got the game in between, it is the perfect amount of time. I mean, we often do NRL broadcasts in the space of two-hour windows, come straight on, game takes place, bang, it's all over and done with, get on to the other game, and as a result, the NRL are able to fit double headers in on a Friday night, for example, and, and obviously you, you never – I don't think you guys have any games that overlap the same way that the AFL have had in recent years, and this year – they got the first chance to have a look at that. And they thought, well, we can put all the games as standalone fixtures. And um, I think it was only the Saturday night game that, that ever overlapped. And it, it gave footy fans the chance to watch more of the games. And I think what happens is people often look at the 16-minute quarters and say, oh, well, it's a great game of footy. I would have loved to have an extra, you know, eight minutes in the final quarter or whatever it was. But that That's not the game that you need to reference. What about the game between Gold Coast and Adelaide that's 60 points the difference at the end of the 16-minute quarters? Do you really want to watch another 16 minutes of that and touch on another four minutes or so? So I think sort of getting, um, trying to to get a better broadcast product, I I think the shorter quarters are certainly the way to go. Um, A few of the other changes, the the fixture was obviously a big one for us where every team played each other once. So we've had huge problems and debates about um, the inequity with the draw, Uh, the travel that's involved. We've got a a 22-round season or a 22-game season, which is born out of a time when there were 12 teams in the competition, so you played every team twice. So essentially that's why it exists um, as a 22-week season. It doesn't really have a place in an 18-team competition. So to see every team play each other once, And whether they break into groups thereafter um, in a longer season or in normal times, it gave the AFL, I think, a chance to sample all the stuff that they probably wanted to sample. um, And this was the opportunity for them to to see what worked and, and what didn't.
0: That's the one great thing about the 2020 season from both points of view, like the experimentation was able to happen where some of this stuff... In years gone by, it may have taken years for competition committees and rules committees to decide yep. what'll work, what won't work. It was the ideal window to say, "Hey, let's have a, a reset here on this stuff and tr- experiment with with it, and then we can throw some stuff out if we 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 don't like it. We can keep some other stuff if we like it." And I guess it, it's the same across businesses as well. It's just like the innovation and the creativity that people have been allowed to use during this period has been phenomenal.
1: So I think f- uh, fixture flexibility will stay. So I don't, I don't think we'll ever go back to the day where we've got you know, 23 rounds in the season and they all come out in November and that's exactly what it's going to be. I think there'll be some certainty for fans if they want to book interstate travel, if they're a Fremantle fan in WA and they, they get they want to go and watch their team play in Melbourne one weekend, they might be able to do that for the first 17 weeks. And then I think at the end of the season that they'll, they'll allow some flexibility and maybe even flexibility with time slots. So I know as the, the television networks are bleeding at the moment and there's a general consensus that the next TV rights won't be as worth as much as what the previous ones were, how do you how do you maximise what they're getting? So perhaps if you have a round schedule but only a few weeks in advance, you pick which game's the Friday night game in the key time slot, which game's the Saturday game. Um, I think that more, more flexibility with the fixture on the run I think will help um, the, the competition. The 20-minute quarters, I'd be surprised if we ever go back to it. it. I think it'll be either stay at 16 or to go to 18, I, I can't see 20-minute quarters. And the other thing which we saw this year was same-day travel, which was sort of taboo in the AFL for a long time, that it was like, oh, no, you got to travel the day before. What happens if you get stuck in the airport? What happens if this happens? There's always these reasons as to why the teams were forced to travel the day before the game. Um, I wouldn't be surprised next year, and particularly coming out of a pandemic, whether they've just conditioned everybody a little bit with hubs and with flying fly-out, just to say, look, if you're a Melbourne team, you're making the hour trip to Adelaide on the morning of the game. You're playing the game and you're going home. and The guys get a chance to sleep in their own beds. And I wouldn't be surprised if the players prefer it, rather than actually going a day before, checking into a hotel. Um, and so I think we'll see teams get a little bit more um, imaginative in, in their travel plans as opposed to um, what they have been in the past.
0: I think that was the thing with the, the AFL as opposed to the NRL as well. Obviously, there's predominantly uh, teams based in, in Perth and other parts of the country, whereas the NRL is pretty much run along the the East Coast. Mm-hmm. What was the the feeling from the players, the, the coaching staffs around the hubs and the difficulties associated with that?
1: Well, the weird thing in the end is it was looking in the preliminary final weekend at the two teams that had the advantage of sleeping in their own beds and playing at home in Port Adelaide and Brisbane, that they were the teams in the box seat to make it through to the grand final. And then in the end, uh, we got a Richmond Geelong decider. So two of the most experienced teams made it through. When I think at the start, it was, it was felt that the young boys would really relish it because if you're 18, 8, 19, 20 years of age and you're away from home and you get to live and breathe footy 24-7, then what better environment than that? Whereas the older guys that have families that have a pool to be in another part of the country, or that then have their families coming and live with them, that it's a, it's a much more challenging environment. And yet we saw two of the most senior teams. I think Geelong was one of the most experienced teams that there's ever been in the history of AFL footy this year. And they made it through to the grand final. And Richmond have, have had um, obviously a heap of success in recent times as well. So if anything, it suited the more experienced clubs. And yet they were the ones that probably made a little bit more noise about the challenges and the the younger teams kind of just, just got on with it. Um, yeah, it's it, it's an incredibly challenging situation. I think here in Melbourne um, and the talkback radio that, that we had, probably um, I, I'm not sure the players totally grasped the situation in Melbourne. So the rest of the country was free to move around and they were could do whatever they want. But we got a lot of resentment from players or towards the players complaining about the fact that they're only allowed out for so many um, so many things each day, whereas the, the conditions that they were living in in Gold, on the Gold Coast and in Queensland was far superior than what a lot of their families and what they would have encountered had they been in Melbourne. So um, I think it was, a. Re- as the year went on, it, it, the and what we do as a, as a national product, it was really obvious that, wow, that the country at the moment is living in totally different worlds, that what you're experiencing in Melbourne, Victoria, compared to what you're li- living in in Perth or even Sydney or Brisbane, um, it were which just chalk and cheese.
0: Take me through that second wave. I mean, the, the conditions that were imposed on the, the people that were living in Melbourne where you are based... I can't imagine, you know, I've got two young kids. I don't know how that would have kind of worked. I mean, how how was it? Were you touching base with people on a regular basis? You know, you mentioned you're sort of fortunate that you're able to sort of dip into to work and, and, and things like that, but still under strict lockdown conditions, um, it must have been really, really tough.
1: Oh, yeah, and we were, we were extremely lucky again that we had work, that we had the footy and you kind of lived very much around that. I mentioned the fixture flexibility the AFL had, had changed their draw and they were playing games midweek. They had festivals of footy taking place where you'd have you know, a game every day for three weeks. And that that kept a lot of Victorians and a lot of sports fans going to be able to have that ally each night. And it's sort of to try and put it in context for people in other states, it, re, it reminds me a lot of the Big Bash or the Australian Open that you sort of get, if you get right into it and you're sitting there watching it every day and then it finishes and you think, what am I going to do now? What am I going to watch now that that's all over? And that's what the footy felt like at times to be able to have it every night as a companion but um yeah it was it was really challenging there's only four reasons to leave home um it, the introduction of masks which i think is um took a while for people to get their head around that and even now like you, you can't leave home without having your mask with you i live in an apartment complex so you've got to have your mask on every time you jump in the lift or, or go down and collect some uber eats or go to the shop or whatever it may be go for a run you've got your mask with you, so. Um, it, it was a lot to get your head around. And, and I live in the inner city of Melbourne. And um, to see a place which is you know, usually home to millions of people and such a vibrant city and, um, yeah, it's just like a ghost town. There was, there was no one around. People went home to, um, to, to various parts of the country and it was just deserted. So, yeah, it was a, it was a really unusual year. And um, and I'd worked a lot of my professional career to get here, uh, the sporting capital of the world. And I opened a log right at the time, Ralphie, where... There was no sport taking place whatsoever, so the irony of that um, certainly wasn't lost on me.
0: When the calendar ticks over to January 1, 2021, while it won't be the silver bullet everyone perhaps is envisaging, what what are you looking forward to most in 2021?
1: Um, certainly a vaccine. I think that that'll be the home run shot, wouldn't it, for everyone if we can get a vaccine. I, I think there's a general feeling that like you said, the silver bullet, that it's just going to be this big reset button and we're just going to hit it and the world's going to go back to normal and 2020's out of the way and I think absence of a vaccine, that's that's not going to be what's going to happen. So I think I've, I fear a little bit for the first half of the year as to what it's going to look like from a sporting sense. How are sporting bodies going to put together fixtures? Are we going back to hubs? Um, are there going to be crowds? And and, and you guys were lucky that you, you had, you know, 50% capacity and big crowds for some games, including, you know, Origin and the grand final and, I've missed that, absolutely. The games that I have attended this year, no one's been at. Um, and the other games I've done have been off-tube. So there's a different energy that, that maybe I guess we took for granted as, as broadcasters. We're very privileged that we get to go to the footy, but the atmosphere that the fans create, that when it's time for the ball to be bounced in the middle of the ground and the, the game starts, that you have you have 40, 50, 60, 70,000 eyes, you know, all on the centre bounce, people watching around the world, that that energy that that creates... I've, I've missed it. That's something that I'll, I'll look forward to. That, that everyone's focus is in one place at one time, and it, it makes you feel like what you're doing is a is a big event. So even though there's an enormous amount of interest when the stadium's empty, um, it, it just doesn't generate the same energy for you as a broadcaster. I'm sure for the players uh, and for people watching at home. So um, crowds back at the footy. Fingers crossed we um, we get the chance to have that in Melbourne after the year that we've had in 2020.
0: Corbin Middlemass, thanks for joining me on 2020 revision.
1: Anytime.